Father God, thanks for this time. Um, thank you for your word, how it, how it, uh, how it's used for teaching. Father, I pray that you teach us this morning, uh, that you, that you pierce our heart with it, uh, that you do something in there that we can't see, but, but Father, that we know that you've done, um, God, I pray that we hear from you. And so we'll read. Amen. Um, so it's chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 17. As Jesus started out on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit Adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around at his, and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said it again. Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left his home... Brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's and field along with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So anyway, I've been reading through this for a week or so and um you know, there's a lot of angles to go at this story from, and I think probably the most, uh, the most I've heard taught on is about the rich young ruler's wealth and how that, his wealth, stood between him and being a disciple. You can imagine this guy walking into church today in South Austin or anywhere in the U.S., really. Wealthy, good guy, um, young, religious, and he'd probably say that he was blessed. Most churches would fawn all over, I mean, just just falling all over themselves to get to this guy. I mean, he would be, they would like appoint him deacon. He would probably um, be chair of the finance committee. I mean, this guy had it all together. But here we have a man uh, that knew, like many of us at one time or another, we may have even said something like this. Uh, There's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. I've gone to church. I've served some. I've given some. I've read my Bible some. But I'm still not sure that this Jesus thing, this Jesus thing has taken hold in my life. And, and I want it to. I want it to really bad. I just, I, I, I've done all I know to do. So that's where we are in this rich man's story. I'm moving over because that keeps squeaking. And he makes this one last ditch effort. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming he makes a last ditch effort to experience and lay claim to this Jesus guy. And, and this may be why some of us are here today. Maybe today you've decided to run to Jesus and fall at his feet and say, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's go. 
Let me, let me, if you've got an outline, we're going to be following along. First blank on the outline, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what that is. Uh, you can be filling that out. First blank says, Jesus is once again on his way, but this time Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, to the cross. Jesus is on his, on his way once again, on his way, excuse me. But this time he's on his way to Jerusalem, to the cross. I simply wanted to point out today that like we've, we talk about, if, if you've been through the TK Primer, um, the times in ministry for Jesus, you'll notice throughout the Bible, we've read through Mark, happen to Jesus along the way. There are these interruptions in life where people come up to him and, and, are, and are looking for healing, looking for something. And it's mostly, you know, Jesus wasn't, didn't have an altar call or wasn't sitting in the synagogue where people came up front and, to receive some sort of blessing. It was just out on the road going somewhere. And in Mark 8 and 9, Jesus has told his disciples uh, twice that he's going to die. He's telling them that the Son of God must, be, must suffer and be rejected and die. And he tells them also he's going to rise on the third day. But the first time Jesus tells him this, Peter rebukes him. Do you remember that story? He rebukes him and says, uh, Jesus, this isn't the way this is supposed to go down. You know, we're going to all rise up with you in power and, and take over Rome. And, and Jesus rebukes Peter back and says, get behind me, Satan. The second time Jesus tells him, remember he... They were on the road and, and the, um, he tells them about his impending death. And remember, they were afraid to talk to him. They were afraid to ask him about it. But in the meantime, Jesus continues teaching. He continues, continues healing. And the Pharisees continue to pursue and try to trap. And just in the first part of John, we didn't, we didn't read it today, but in the very first few verses of John, he, Jesus talks about divorce because the Pharisees are trying to trap him with that and try to make him say... Uh, what he thinks about it. But we pick up today and Jesus is continuing. I think we're going to cover that later. That's, I just, so I just brought that up. Anyway. Um, but, but Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So the rich young man comes to Jesus. How does he come to Jesus? Verse 17. Whoa. Huh? Running? On his knees. So there's a posture of what? Submission, Submission and humility. Yeah. And I like the, the running part too. Because there's some sense of urgency. Right? And I don't really know what. You know. I don't really know what caused the urgency in this man. To finally realize that, that he needed to get to Jesus. But he ran to Jesus. I don't know if maybe Jesus has already passed him by. And maybe he saw him and, and, and heard about Jesus and saw what he was doing. And maybe he let him pass on by. And for whatever reason, it didn't take the opportunity to go to him at that point. Maybe um, pride. You know, he's rich. He's a ruler. I mean, he's, he's got power and position and stuff. And to, to see Jesus, you know, you have to have, to have that posture of humility. But regardless, he runs up. To him and abandons everything that's held him back at this point. He runs up. He falls down at the feet of Jesus in worship. And asks him the question. What must I do to be saved? So the second blank on your outline is this. The rich young man comes before Jesus for salvation. This is the first time in scripture. That anybody's come up to Jesus for salvation alone. You know a lot of people come up for healing. A lot of people have come up for uh, whatever uh, has ailed them. And Jesus will heal them, 
tell them to sin no more, and, and they go on. But this is the first time anyone's come up with this question. And he says, what may I, what may I do to inherit eternal life? Matthew records the man asking, there's a, there's a parallel story in Matthew. He, he's recorded as saying, what do I still lack? Maybe he's heard of Jesus' teaching and this new kingdom and this radical rabbi and, and what's going on and what he's talking about. And here's how this kingdom is at hand. And he sees the miracles and hears, hears the stories of restoration. And he goes, that guy's got the answers. And he realizes all of his religious exercises, uh, his being good, his keeping the law, still leave him lacking. Like many of us, you know, I grew up in church. I mean, I was there all the time. I mean, I um, was heavily involved. And if you're like me, you you've, um, may have been there every time the doors were open. That's kind of the way we did things. But there's still sometimes, it doesn't matter about church attendance, it, there's still sometimes that void. And I think that's what this guy was feeling. Attendance, giving, doing good, these things just don't cut it. If we miss Jesus, we miss everything. So Jesus says to him, you know the commandments, you know, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the, and the rich man says, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus, I got that. Those things I got. I've done these. But, and I, I've also got a, the, the dude's not doing it in a, in a cocky manner. He's not arrogant about this. He says, teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. I've been religious my whole life. My mom took me to the synagogue every week. I've learned all the commands. Not only do I know them, but I've also kept them. I know all the prophets. I can recite scripture if you want me to. Since I was a boy. I get these. Because I, I'm kind of the corresponding pastor dude here. You get an email from me. I get these emails back all the time that say very similar stuff to this. I've been in church my whole life. I've done the good things. And I still. Um, there's just still something missing. If you've been around A&C much at all, we talk a lot about our posture and how we're to love God and love others and how in the Beatitudes, they talk about this relationship and this balance between loving God and loving others and how the Ten Commandments were given to Moses and the same balance applies. Brandon talks a lot about the first four uh, commandments are between us and God and the last six are between us and man. And Jesus really addresses this man's relationship with the others when he says, you know the commandments. And he lists them again. But he left one of the commandments off. Anybody pick up on that? Coveting. Yeah. And I would venture to say, too, that's probably the hardest of the commands to, uh, to stick to. I mean, we can all not murder, Right? Most of us, uh, but but coveting is 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 one of those things that's that's in your heart. That's in your uh, that's your desires. Coveting is desiring something that's not yours. It's in in the commandments. He says, "Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's home. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife." And those things are tough. I mean, those things are the things that people don't see on the outside. Just in the confines of your little dirty heart, 
my little dirty heart. These things are the things we wrestle with. Coveting the things of others. The next blank on your outline is this. Jesus has unconditional love for this man. Jesus looked at this man and loved him. Think about this. Jesus knows this guy wants to follow him. Okay? And Jesus sees that his heart is mostly right. And he tells him in love, one thing you lack. One thing. Just one little thing stands in your way. Of becoming my disciple. And inheriting the kingdom. You've kept yourself pure. Except in this one little area. And here's what it is. Sell all you, sell all you have. And give it to the poor. Just this one little thing. Just sell all you have. And in Matthew he's also recorded as saying. If you want to be perfect. Then sell all you have and give it to the poor. I love that Jesus is looking at him and loved him. And that's the thing that just kept jumping out to me in this text the whole week was just how Jesus loved this guy. Even though, even though we'll find out he didn't have the capacity to love Jesus in this way. Jesus still loves us. So I find hope in that verse even you know, for, for the rest of us. Jesus not only tells this man to sell everything he has, but to give it to the poor is the next blank. Sell everything he has, but give it to the poor. Dang, Jesus, really? Really, I got to give it to the poor? I mean, at this, the man's face fell because he had great wealth. Undoubtedly, this man took great stock in the things that he owned and possessed and the wealth and the power that that afforded him. As most of us would do as well, or do do. I'll go ahead and make this correlation because, I've, like I said, I've, I've heard this several times. We are the wealthy young ruler in this passage, okay? Jesus is talking to you and I here, the rich. We are the rich young ruler. Wait a minute, bearded guy. I'm not rich, right? But as Americans, we have great wealth. I mean, we all, we all know this. Um, and whether you live in a big house or a trailer, whether you drive a new Mercedes or a 76 Pacer, Richard. Um, he doesn't have one, but I'm just kidding. I'd venture to guess most of us have clean water, running water in our homes. One in nine people in the world do not have, don't even have access to clean water, let alone have it running in their homes. If we take a five-minute shower, we've used as much water in that five minutes as most third-world countries people use in a day. Okay, and by a show of hands, I'm just kidding. Um, if we make, I was going to, never mind. If we make $24,000 a year, okay, we're not going to show hands, but if we make $24,000 a year, we're in the top 10% in the world of income earners. That puts us at poverty level here, doesn't it? If we make $40,000 a year in the United States, or anywhere. We're in the top 3.17% in the world. We have, on average, you and I have 100 times the wealth 
of, of the average person in the poorest countries. And I've seen how, you know, I've been to, I went to Ethiopia not too, too long ago. And I've seen how the poor live, the really poor. And I've seen how the, the doing okay poor, you know, third world country, they have a place, you know, they have a house, they have a roof over their head. I've seen how they live and they don't have uh, TVs. They don't have uh, refrigerators that they don't even really have. They don't have ovens to cook in or on stoves. They cook on a dirt floor around a fire with a pot. Cooking is an all-day activity in third-world countries. And these are things that we just go and just, I mean, quickly take care of. And we complain when the waiter or waitress doesn't get our drink refilled in time. You know? That's just me. I'm just kidding. But I, I get sucked into the richness. I get sucked into all those things, the, the, my family, my stuff. Uh, my my comfort, my security, I get sucked into all that too. So no doubt we had the same, we've, we've got the same problem as this rich young ruler's got. And I would say that we're at a serious dis- disadvantage spiritually. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And then he said it again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That in and of itself is amazing. But you know why it's hard? It's because we think our wealth, what we've, what we've accumulated in the grand scheme of things is worth something. I mean, there's this little bitty guy, well, some of us not so little, but there's this little bitty guy on this little bitty planet who has accumulated a little bit of stuff And there's the God who created it all looking down going, really? You think your little stuff uh, amounts to anything when when we're talking about eternity? The last blank on your outline is this, that Jesus on, on disciples were amazed. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So there's this guy, this rich young ruler that's come before Jesus. And, and to, in their eyes, this guy was a shoe in. I mean, you can imagine this guy coming. I mean, he's, he's religious, he's young, he's wealthy, he's a ruler. This guy's a shoe in. And I think had Jesus asked him to check a box or say a prayer or even get baptized, this guy would have done those things. But this required giving God the very thing that stood between him and full devotion. So I've listed some questions down here, and I, I want to just kind of park here for just a second. And let's, let's talk about these. One is... Why did Jesus object to be calling good, being called good? Or, do, or was he really objecting? Okay. That's my answer. Yeah. Did y'all hear that? He said that, that Jesus was not really denying his goodness. But that, that by asking the question, he was basically confirming his deity. Basically saying, I, I am. I am good. Why do you call me good? 
It's because I am good. Why does Jesus point out that obeying the commandments isn't sufficient for a relationship with God? Okay, it's a starting point. Yeah. Because he loves us. Think about where he's going to, too. I mean, seriously, if there was one thing you could do that would give you eternal life, I don't need to keep going to Jerusalem. We can go down somewhere on vacation. Commitment level? Right. Commandments aren't sufficient if your heart's not right anyway. And the thing I keep going back to, even even in that is, and Jesus loved him. To follow Jesus isn't about doing things. It's about relying on the saving work of Jesus. So why precisely is it so difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom? What are some examples of that? What's that? Idolatry, yeah. 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 Living the dream, living the American dream. Ferraris. Ferraris. <laughs> the one with the most toys wins. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's what? The media? Yeah. Yeah. Dangles carrots. We've been conditioned to believe that. Yeah. Being in third world country without all the distractions, and you see these little kids that have nothing, I've never seen greater joy in all my life when you remove the distractions and you're relying on God for your every meal and your every, every everything. Yeah. What does Jesus promise for those that follow him in verse 30? Eternal life. Yeah, how about that? Persecution. But we're also we're also promised a hundred times um, whatever we've given up. So if that's if that's monetary, if that's possessions, if that's family, if that's success or jobs or whatever jesus is saying i'm giving i'll give you a hundred times and i think about that and 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 so i was fascinated by the correlation of the hundred times right here in scripture because as americans we possess a hundred times the wealth of the average 
person in a third world country. And for them to look at, I mean, it would blow their minds if they saw how we lived, to be honest with you. If they saw the stuff that we had and they saw just just the things that we possessed and the luxuries and the, I mean, how wasteful we are too, yeah. There's that hundred times thing and, and Jesus is saying, if you lay your stuff down, you'll still receive a hundred times that. So imagine how mind-blowing that is. What do I still lack? If Jesus looked us square in the eyes today and he said, Trey, or you can insert your own name, um, you lack one thing, one thing, what would it be? If there's something standing in the way of full devotion to me today, what would that be? And then Jesus says, lay that down. Whatever that is, whatever that is, lay it down. Would it be family? Would it be wealth or job or house or security? God, have I elevated those things to first importance? I still keep going back to it. I'm fascinated by how Jesus loved this man. He loved this man and wanted so much for this man to love him. Matthew 7 says, But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only few ever find it. Few ever find it. And Jesus said, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal it. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where's my treasure? Do I wake up in the morning and my first thought is Jesus and, and serving him? Or, or tomorrow morning will it just be work? Will it just be my family? Do we own our stuff or does our stuff own us? I don't think Jesus is mad here because we have stuff. He just wants us to have the correct eternal perspective of our stuff. You know? If we have this one, this, this loving God who's telling us this morning to lay down blank, whatever that is, and follow me, and we know that there's this one thing between us and Him, and this eternal life He speaks of, and we also know that narrows the way, yet few ever find it, and Jesus is saying the treasures you're laying up for yourself are nothing, yet they consume you. You let them vie for the affections I want you to have for me. I love you. I sent my son for you. I want you the best for you. I'm not telling these things to hurt you or because I want you to live a life in poverty. I've come so that you may have life and life to the full. You know, we wouldn't choose to live in poverty. This is why this passage is so compelling to me. We can all identify with the rich young ruler. But notice he didn't go away mad. The rich young ruler did not go away mad. Jesus' words weren't mean or hurtful. And there was really no judgment offered by Jesus. The rich young man didn't go away mad. He went away sad. In that moment, he realized that Jesus loved him. And he loved Jesus. He just loved his stuff more. Let's pray.